uh, talking about questions, you know, questions you may have had over the course of the semester, you hadn't been able to think about something new that's come up, or something in relation to conflicts you talked about. So we're, this only works if you participate. So we're really looking forward to see how this goes. All right. So anybody, what, what do you, uh, maybe the topic you talked about or another question you have, kind of hop in here and let's, let's have a discussion. Yeah. I'll break the ice. Um, I think in life there's conflicts of a lot of different kinds. And personally, I've been through a very hard year and a half of a really difficult conflict. And so, um, and I find that I have conflict with coworkers. I have conflict with a lot of different things. And so, one of the things I've been working on is looking at inside. And it's like, why did I get myself into that situation? And so, the situation was I married somebody who was addicted to opioids. I did not know it and married in March, divorced, or started divorce proceedings the following January, and I'm still in a situation like that. So it causes a lot of emotion. There's a lot of conflict, a lot of things happening. But the thing that I wanted to focus on is the internal conflict. And so it's like growing up, we learn don't, don't have conflict was what mm -hmm. I learned growing yeah. up. And so it's like, a I'm lot of us to did, say, yeah. so which stick do I pick up and carry? You know, why am I internalizing these things rather than dealing with it and learning how to deal with it in a positive way? And so I'm internalizing and I'm carrying and then I blow up. Yeah, so, man, you want to hop in or we go first? We want you to go first, I'll supplement. <clears throat> There's so, so, such rich stuff with that, right? I mean, we talked the rest of the class period about just that one comment. First of all, we all have different capacities to managing pain and conflict. Some people carry it in certain ways, others don't, right? And we all have, and that's great. I, I have a real problem with, in the environment I grew up in, uh, judging character by how we manage our or conflict, right? Oh, you're you're a bad person if you get upset, or you're right, and that's really, really a terrible way to do it. I, in fact, sometimes I think I've mentioned this class before. People who exhibit pain in conflict are some of the most helpful people because they help us understand what's really going on. So many of us, especially in church, lock it down and hide it. And I would say that um, what gets resolved is what you can talk about and deal with. And so. Uh, you know, you're in a really difficult spot. It's caused all this, right? All this internal stuff. And I wouldn't be surprised if all that internal anxiety has made it more difficult to deal with other people, right? Because you're carrying junk because of, of that. And wouldn't it be great if, if we foster an environment with our fellow Christians that we could be completely open and honest about that and not feel judged? about how we manage or don't. Because we all manage conflict badly at some point, right? And then you got something called enduring conflict, which is what you're going through is this long-term arc. You don't see an end to it real quickly, right? And that's part of the challenge, too, because that that doubles down on you. And, uh, and so I, I think that we need to be completely honest, be as honest as we can without damaging other people in our honesty, right? And second, Find people that, that you can lay that stuff out to and, and dissect it. What, what none of us want to be is the person that just talks about it all the time to everybody. Because not everybody wants to hear our junk all the time. So, you know, I mean, that, that's just the case. And we've been around people like that, and we want to be caring, kind of like, oh, please talk about something else. You know, so if you have, if we have close friends that we can be open and honest with, and we can acknowledge the fact that all of us handle conflict differently and not judge each other 
and lay that stuff out consistently within the body. I think it helps us. But I, I think carrying that stuff, I do it. Man, I care. My wife will tell you, I carry anxiety. I have a high anxiety quotient. I, I don't think I try to show it very much, but I have a high anxiety quotient. I carry stuff, and I don't talk about it. And I, it's not healthy for me, and it's not good for my walk. So that's a really great point. I, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I know you're going through a legal process to change a legal status, but. Without, that doesn't resolve the other conflicts, right? Both that interpersonal and in the workplace. And what you talked about is the very essence of why we wanted to offer this class, right? Because you're not the only one in this class who was told, be nice and the world will be nice. And you get to a certain age and you realize that's just not true. Um, and you're not the only one of us who is what I call, and what others in our college call, light and heat sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, when things, I, I think I'm that way too, honestly. Um, and what we've wanted to offer you this semester, whether or not it was talking about negotiation or apology, where that's appropriate, or even when Steve talked about Axelrod and how to use those things, are tools to deal with difficult people and difficult moments and difficult conversations. I would love to hear from you if you feel like sharing, maybe in the workplace setting may feel safer for you now, but if there's a specific conflict um, that we can help you with this morning, or if you just want to let that go for a different time, that's fine. But um, that way we can give you maybe some more specific answers to, to what you're talking about. I think the biggest thing is trying to figure out how much of it is my responsibility. And, you know, my problem is I've taken too much responsibility for other people's problems. And so it's like my thing is making sure that I don't get too torqued up about nothing. Or if something really wrong, I stand up for myself. And so Anybody else will like that in the room? You know? <laughs> Remember that we talked about differentiation a little bit. I don't know if you were in here that day, but we said, you know, on the scale of emotion, there's the, under stress, we tend to go two different ways, mm -hmm. right? I go disengaged. I just check out because I internally own people's stuff. I get upset, and so I just go hide. Others overengage, and they try to fix it for everybody, and that, and neither one of those are all that helpful. And I'm not, I'm not pretending to be a therapist, right? Just in, in our field, structural field of conflict management, neither one of those are helpful, right? The, the place you want to be is to care but not care too much, right? And, and I will go so far as to get my, some of my marriage and family therapy friends complete apoplectic fits by saying I'm not all that interested in being empathetic. At least in my field, it doesn't help. It, it's not helpful for me in my field to hurt like they hurt. It doesn't do any good. I, I think in, in my, this is how I feel. In my field, sympathy is a good thing. I want to understand it. I want to walk alongside it, but I'm not going to own it, right? And, and, and so sitting there saying, okay, there's this pain going on. The question I want to ask is, how can I be, what could I do that could be helpful in helping that person own, helping me own my stuff and letting that person own theirs? And then only do stuff that helps them own it. So that may be things like, I appreciate you sharing this with me. It's not something I can gauge right now, but I'm certainly willing to listen to you, but I probably don't, I'm not, I don't feel responsible to do that for you, right? So somehow, that's the, and, and the guy, Murray Bowen, who kind of came up with this idea, but differentiation said, it's the hardest thing in the world to do because there's no, there's no tool on how to do it. And he said the only truly differentiated people in the world are people who are dead and they're actually disengaged. So uh, <laughs> that's all. Uh, so that, I think that moment of just spending your time asking yourself, 
is this helpful to me? Is it helpful for them to be in, be involved? And then being be different. It's okay to let people hurt. In fact, I think it's a command. That's what I think right now as Christians to let them be responsible for themselves. And I think some of us overfunction thinking that's the Jesus-like thing to do. And I'm not sure Scripture teaches that. Thank you. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Very helpful. Okay. Anybody else? And it'd be a huge concepts, things you could you, know, you said that was really stupid week three. That's okay too. Because I'm really differentiated. Let's see. I was uh, I, we were speaking about children. Mm-hmm. One, and of course, the ones that are like you. You know, you just can converse with so easily, and you know, because they're, they're mm-hmm. just like thinking the same way you are. Um, but then I have another part of my family, another uh, child that uh, checks out. As soon as you say something that is any kind of confrontational, it goes he goes in passive aggressive mode, you know, and you don't. And then it affects me. I end up tiptoeing around him, you know, mm-hmm. and not really communicating what maybe I need to communicate, you know, because I. Worrying about making it worse. Yeah, worrying about. Yeah. Hopping that? You want me to do it? I think you two are more closely aligned on this since mine are nine, seven, and five right now. Yeah. I'll let you start. All right. Let's go back to that. I think this is a classic Axelrod moment. You know, I've got three children. They're all, they're 32, 30, and 28, and very, three very distinct personalities. Is that fair enough? I mean, those mm-hmm. kids completely different. And uh, I spent way too much time trying to figure out how to talk to them, especially when they became adults. And so my, my belief is all I, and I had that. So one of my kids and I are like this because we're just so much alike. We're the same interest and that. And then the other two are very different. One's completely self-sufficient. It's not that he gets tired. I mean, he just doesn't need me, right? He just does his own thing. And the other one's just got a history of just making dumb decisions, right? And so I got all three of those. And um, I had to learn to quit overcompensating, trying to keep... I spent my, not like I spent much of my life trying to keep my 32-year-old from making bad decisions. Yeah. And then so he starts... Every time I start getting involved, he'd check out. I hope that makes any sense to you, Right. So I had to learn to Axelrod with him. So if he does says something or does something really dumb, right, I think I'm gonna do this, you know, instead of me going, you know, you're what, you know, what are you smoking? I'm what are, what's wrong with you, you know? Um, to kind of go back and say, so what I heard actually, so what I heard you say is, you know, you're gonna like sell your truck and go live in the comedy or you know, whatever, you know. You're that, that what I heard you say, you know. And then he'll go. Well, yeah, you got a problem with that? No, I just want to understand it. In light of that, let me tell you how I kind of view that and how I'm going to react to that. Which is, I don't think it's a great idea. There's some things that could happen to you and have an impact on you and your family. And therefore, and your mom and I aren't going to bail you out of that if you go down that road. And you just need to know that's there. And I still respect you for going to go down that road. You do that, you know where we stand. That's what I had to learn how to do with him. And, and he got really exercised about that early because he felt like I was manipulating him. And I wasn't. I was just kind of saying, giving him permission. You do what you got to do. I'll do what I got to do, and hopefully we'll meet in the middle. And it, over a period of time, it really helped our relationship. Yeah. Okay. So I, that's the only thing I can think of. So, Steve, can you do like an if-then project management board for us for all those situations? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it would be really ugly. No, I can't. But uh, I just, we go parent stuff. We're going to that world. I am not a parent. When I was a youth minister, here's the great thing about being a youth minister early in life. You realize that you don't know anything, right? I mean, if you're smart enough, you start realizing that because you see all these parents and all these kids. I figured out early on I am not a parenting expert at all. Uh, I do think most of us overfunction for our kids. I mean, that's generally the biggest thing we tend to do. We tend to overfunction. Not everybody in every situation, but if overfunction is usually best met with some kind of differentiation in Axelrod, right? And of course, that's when they're older. When they're younger, I hate to act Axelrod, my eight year old granddaughter. So you think this? Let me tell you how I'm going to do this. The answers are yes, no, go to your room. Yes, no, go to your room. Exactly. Anything else? Sometimes when you have a child that's like you and they do things that are like you mm-hmm. and you don't like them in you, you aren't going to like them in her either. Oh, I know. Oh, I know that feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so sometimes you might get along really well because you're so much alike. But there were many times at night when I would tuck her in and I would say, I wasn't a good mother today. And she'd say, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but she taught me a lot yeah. about forgiveness. And she forgave again and again. And I forgave her a few times too. I think one outside the family too, all relationships. Being kind of Teflon, if I could somehow give the gift of differentiation, that ability not to personalize pain <coughs> and, and not to own it. Kind of have to be a little more Teflon with that. If somebody mistreats me, <coughs> to not own that stuff. You know, that's, that's hard, right? Somebody be rude to you and painful and terrible to you. And then just not to sit there. And I think sometimes some of us... Are, some of us are more Teflon, others are like a Velcro wall and everything people say to us sticks to us and then it makes it really hard and I don't know how you get there except to be very intentional. I think you train yourself to, to be that way, that you just learn not to own everybody's stuff and when they say terrible things to you, to, to not own that and, and be willing to let that go and forgive them pretty easily. Because uh, that's kind of the basics of being able to keep your relationship. Yes, I was going to say, I think that potentially, because we don't want to remember what middle school was like. I'm a middle school teacher. You were talking about being a youth minister. Yeah, yeah. I got a daughter-in-law who's one of those. I think yeah. um, when you're thinking about how do we train ourselves and parents over-functioning, mm-hmm. I think jumping in and owning our kids' problems, yeah. especially at that age where they are, at their, you're so sensitive Everything is about you. Mm-hmm. You're walking down the hall and somebody laughs. <gasps> they're laughing at me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that, that over. Yeah. They're just starting to get an awareness. They hit the um, spotlight right, on them at all exactly. times. Exactly. Yeah. Every, everybody sees me and all my flaws the way that I do. <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, because of you know, our family's situation mm-hmm. now and just life and things that it's taught, you know, that, that we've learned, and, and you're, you're using the term differentiation, but I, as I talk to junior high kids and my kids try to say, you know, we have a choice. You choose how you interpret the information. 
What you choose to look for is what you will find. If you think people are, 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 are mistreating you or are uh, you know, seeing you in a certain light, you'll find people who will do that. But if you turn it around and you can decide, I'm going to look for the good, I'm going to look for the, for the, for the potential, and for the, the, you know, it seems like kind of a simple thing, but it's such an orientation, uh, life orientation choice. And when your kids talk to you about somebody who said Everybody something and the parents overreact, I can't believe, and they, and they fly into to defensive mode, it teaches that kid that I was right and I need to be more protected and guarded. And it doesn't allow us then to be who God created us to be in terms of being life-giving. You know, there's a golden thread that's kind of running through what I'm hearing from those who have spoken so far. You remember Steve's morning when he talked about triangles? Did I kind of remember that? He said, he said hey, uh, you know, I can show you the structure of any organization. And basically what he did is he created points. And then these points, um, did a great job explaining how things work. And I want to go back to that for just a second because I think as uh, parents, we find ourselves in triangles a lot too, right? And there's usually three. There's, there's someone who's we'll label as the persecutor, and there's someone who's the victim. And let's talk about those for a second. In any given organization, say you're in an office dispute and there's someone who didn't send the email they were supposed to send or drop the ball on any given thing, and you call them on it, right? You call them when you think, I'm right. Persecutor always thinks, I'm right. Okay? And they feel good because they're going to call on the person who messed up. And maybe if you're not yelling, I'm like, hey, man, I thought you were going to send that email. Right? right? We've all maybe sent that email. Or had to go. <coughs> and there's the victim said, oh, well, I didn't think I was supposed to be the one to do that. The victim always thinks this. I'm blameless. It wasn't me. I... I understand that you're frustrated, but that wasn't my fault because, right? We've all been there, too. But as Steve pointed out, usually what happens is the tension between these two, if I had my red actual marker, right, I would say they've got their squiggles. We've talked about squiggles. Now we have a squiggle developing between those, these two. And they can't sort this out, so what do they do? They run to the hero, right? We call this person hero. Now, here's what happens. Usually the person who thinks they're blameless goes to this person and asks for help, right? This person's giving me a hard time. They don't understand. They're always on my case, this, that, and the other. It's not my fault. What do you want to do? Now, all of you find yourself here from time to time. And what Steve's talking about with differentiation and not owning it is the choice you make here. If you choose to own this and become the sympathetic person in the office and moreover the empathetic in the office, guess what's going to happen? Your office is full of victims, and they are going to find you, and you will be the hub in the office. And you know people who are like that, right? They go to one person because they always listen. And that person feels good about the role they take, right? In the workplace, they feel good because everybody... Sometimes they hate the role and love the role at the same time. That's exactly right, because it creates problems. Because now they're spending all their time being the unofficial counselor in the office, and they're not able to get all the things they need to get done, right? So the question is, what do we do here? If you think of your role not as the solver of their problem, not as the person who will then go to the persecutor and say, hey, let's work this out, but instead of the equipper, someone who can equip this person to deal with their issues, that will allow you to be differentiated. You've probably all sat in a sermon at some point, because I know, I think I'm, I can pretty well say this with uncertainty, 
and they were talking about talking to someone with whom you're in conflict. And they'd say, well, and they, they would tell you, well, what did the person say when you asked them about it, right? Well, I didn't think to do that. You redirect them this way, but instead of being so cold and callous, equip them with tools to do that, i.e. some of the stuff you've learned here, right? So if you think of yourself in this role as the equipper, instead of the hero, this will allow you to remain differentiated. Basically, science, scientists got paid a lot of money in the last five years to produce results to take something that you may have heard in a sermon a long time ago, but you need to hear it. Does that help? Maybe give a more practical? Okay. So interesting. So I remember in junior high talking to my dad about everybody <coughs> making fun of me. We'd moved. I was in ninth, eighth grade, new town, right? And my dad looked at me and said, you'd, you'd quit worrying about what people thought about you and realize how little they did. He just walked off. You know, and uh, it was pretty good advice. I couldn't take it as a but I realized nobody cares about you. You know, it's kind of speech. So uh, anyway, the only time I ever heard the, heard, heard the word special growing up, I was like, oh, you think you're special? So that was kind of advice. Uh, I might relate to that, you know, but, but I do think over-functioning is a huge problem. As we do it as parents, if we don't stop it, I had a grad student recently who's 20-something aggressive parents calling me Thanksgiving night because they think their child's being mistreated, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and handing that back to them. You're going, you know, that uh, finally pulled us. And the student was using it. They're used to it. That's how they get saying And I, I remember sitting that student saying, would you sign this FERPA agreement for me to talk to your parents? Well, what can you tell them? Oh, if you'll sign that, pretty much anything I want. And I will tell them everything I know about you. So would you like me to go down that road? Because don't play me, you know? <laughs> and she's like, no, that's okay. So when your daddy calls me next time, I'm going to say, you wouldn't let me talk to him. So you're going to have to, right, hand it back, right, kind of thing. And, and I can do that because I was irritating the dean and I, she needed me to graduate. So I could be that way to her. But you may have to be a more gentler, kinder version of that to somebody else. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I have a workplace um, issue that's been going on. <coughs> Shocking. I know. Right? <laughs> and academics, can you? Oh, I, I, academics. We're the worst. We're the worst. We're the smartest. Anyway, and the best. I, it's, a, it's a long story, but anyway, I had um, a, a mediator was hired because basically this woman was in a workplace bully, basically, mm -hmm. um, and we have to co-teach together next semester. Um, but I feel like I think the biggest issue is I'm taking it home. And um, my husband was like, well, and I'm not the only person that this person has said, I don't want to teach with this. You know, she's, she's saying she doesn't want to teach with the younger faculty or whatever. Um, and it's just been an ongoing issue. And she's trying to catch me in some things. Like, you have to respond to my emails within 24 hours and things like that. And I'm like... No. So anyway, I mean, it's been, it's been, I think, emotionally hard, mm -hmm. but even like, I mean, we have a meeting next Monday about, um, like, who's going to teach what, who's going to own what content or whatever, and um, I don't know, my anxiety going into that, even two weeks from now, I, I feel like it's affecting I think I emotionally take on some stuff, and then I go home, and my husband's like, 
they're like they're why can't what they're making you teach with her like she's pushing me around and like I mean there was like a physical incident where she grabbed my arm and yelled at me in the hall and I took it to HR and I mean it was just it's a big it's a big problem and yet they're making us work together <laughs> and I'm not the only one that she can't so, work with we have to, obviously so, that's that's complicated layer right right but, but the I'll, I'll say yeah go ahead. is the the bringing it home part I'll, I'll say interestingly enough. Yes, okay. So there's, we're not spending much time with this, but there's layers to these kinds of deals. You have interest-based engagement, uh, rights-based engagement, and power-based engagement in any workplace. Good. And this, the, a labor attorney taught me this one too, by the way. And, and so most of what we're talking about is the interest-based stuff. That is, so power is, is, can you fire you? You do this. We do this. Rights basis. All of us have certain rights that we're given. One of those is is not to you know not to work in a hostile work environment, right? Those are actually rights that are established. You have HR and attorneys to manage that. Most of what we talk about is interest based stuff. So when you're you're not on the verge of getting canned, all the rights are being taken up. Here are some tools to manage this stuff. There. Yours has has moved into these arenas, right? And so it's interesting, when you enter, and, and the attorney can help me more with this, but I believe when you get the rights and power-based stuff, the control actually goes more toward the institution than you, right? So there's stuff going on, and if you're being grabbed, pushed, and shoved in the hall, there's an institutional responsibility that has to be dealt with. And all this good interest-based skills in the world is not going to stop an abuser. Is that making sense, right? So you can do all the stuff we taught in class here, you're right. still going to mistreat you, you don't have enough power to do anything about it. That's an institutional issue. Which and they haven't done anything. Well, and there's a, you, you yeah. call the attorney. Okay, so there's <laughs> other there's other things that go with that, right? You can write a cell phone. So that's another issue that I'm saying here. Now take it home. Here's what's happening. You're still viewing it as an interest-based thing to a great degree. I, I, oh, what can I do? How can I do this? What can I do to make this better? That's all the interest-based stuff, right? <laughs> this person's working down here. Is that fair enough, Matt? Yeah. And then I work on the same set of rules you are, and you can do everything we taught you, and that person's not going to behave. I'm going to turn it over now to Counselor. Well, sense. Counselor Matt has to go to do a sound check. Okay, right. That's for you, and, <laughs> and we okay. probably need to talk about something offline, um, and then maybe I can talk to you also about what to do about bringing it home. I know that's kind of at the root of what you wanted to hear. Yeah. So yeah, and so when all this happens, I guess part of the reason you're bringing home, you're trying all this, and it ain't working because they're not playing by the same set of rules you are. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And sometimes that happens, and especially when you deal with people who don't have a similar kind of belief system than you do, you can play by all your rules, and they just play by a different set of rules, and there's nothing you can do about it. And then you have to get help if you need to. Making sense? Yeah. There, there, there are a lot of times, you know, in the workplace and whatever, where you have to, where you're in a situation where you have to work with somebody. Mm -hmm. But I can remember, I was, I, I'm in a business where I would deal with clients, and I can remember so specifically, I was getting so stressed because I was working with these clients that just couldn't be pleased, and you know, just it was just miserable. And I can remember the exact moment I decided I might starve to death. But I'm not going to work with people I don't want to work with anymore, internally or externally. And I can't tell you how that changed my life. Um, 
it, yeah. you know, it just, and again, there's situations where you can't make that not. choice, but, 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 but there are, there are situations where we choose to work with people who we shouldn't be working with. I think it's interesting with that. Sometimes you're, you're, you feel trapped that you need the income. They're a boss. You don't have other options, all that. At the same time, I, I think when you get to the point that you can be clear about what you're willing to do and not do, it can take a lot of stress almost, right? The difficulty is if we feel like we can't get out of that. And, and sometimes some of that was fear, right? Some of that's fear when you realize on the backside. You, so we, we do some what we call reality testing. One thing you can do is ask yourself, and we don't do this enough. So if just write down all the all the different directions you could go and ask yourself, okay, what's likely to happen if I go this way? What's likely to happen this way? And then ask yourself, what's the worst thing that could happen to me if I do these things? And usually what you'll figure out is you won't die. You know, I probably won't die. I probably won't lose my family, and I probably won't starve. And once you figure that out, then it becomes a little less threatening to figure out what to do. Your, your situation, I don't believe you have a lot of, if, if, I don't know the whole story. From what you told me, it does, it looks like that person's playing off a different set of rules, and it's going to take a third party to do something about it. And if they don't do something about it, that third party's probably going to have a problem. Okay? Yeah? I have a quick question. Um, are there certain communities, cultures, or societies that you would hold up as like models of dealing with conflict in a positive way? Uh, not, well, not models. I think there are certain cultures, societies who have certain elements that they do well and certain elements that they don't do well. You know, I, I the uh, <coughs> I like some of what the Quakers did. You know, which is is very much in that that conversation one on one. You got a problem with somebody, you deal with it. And then the community deals with it. It's a, it's kind of woven into their understanding much more than it is with us, you know. And so there, I think there are cultures. I what we've mostly seen through research is there are cultures that are more community oriented than Americans. In fact, there's a guy out of oh, it's an old research. They're still still doing IBM did a international study of community. Uh, of cultures by engagement and disengagement, how community-oriented are and how the individualistic they are. <coughs> and interestingly enough, where do you think the Americans sit? Oh no, we sit dead in the middle. So the Norway, the European, especially Northern Europeans, so Norway leads the way on individualism. It's so interesting, they're highly social structure, but you kind of deal with your own stuff, you don't engage. Guatemala wins. For over, and if you've been to Guatemala before, uh, if you're driving a car, everybody in the car is driving the car with you, you know? And, and, and so, uh, the more community-oriented cultures have some things they do really well relationally. So then you see, we looked at the uh, individual cultures did some things better structurally. So if you go to Norway, they got great legal systems. They're a, they're a, justice system in Norway is one of the best in the world. So if you get thrown, listen, I'm going to get thrown in prison anywhere. I'm going to be thrown in prison in Norway. <laughs> because they put them in individual rooms. They have, they help them restructure their lives. They have this long, they have, a, they structurally do well. So I think we draw from every culture different things. If that makes any sense. Alright, one more, one more question or comment. 
thanks for taking on this topic. This I got so many things banging around in my head. I, I appreciate Audrey Creek being willing to go out. Well, on they called us. You know, and I didn't never volunteered to do this because I didn't know how this would go. Go do another one because it's interesting to me the comment that you made previously and again today. You don't have to own it, which sounds counterintuitive to the way we were brought up as Christians to be engaged and find the solution. So there's just there's been a lot of good concepts in this class. I appreciate you guys teaching. Well, I appreciate you guys. I, I'll say this. I had a lot of guilt growing up, church, and I'm not blaming anybody but me, okay? I, I, I Even evangelism, I was so funny. I felt, this sounds crazy, but as like a teenager, I felt this burden that I was supposed to save everybody, all these things. And it was this, one, I don't know when it happened, but during some of my grad studies, when I realized, it's not my job to save the world. It's my job to tell people about what God's done for me. And they get to choose what they do with it. And, and if they don't, you know, they want to play that game, that's their, their choice. And I thought, well, that's anti-Christian. And I started studying about, it's really not, you know. Uh, God made free will, I think, for a reason. And I think those of us who are Christians tend to over, we tend to over-function. I, by nature, am an under-functioner. I really just soon everybody leave me alone. Let's just be flat honest. And that's my, my wife will tell you that I will just as soon not talk about something to deal with it. Right? Next, so I, I'm out of town next week. Matt's going to teach. My last session, I'm going to talk about actually rules for how to talk to each other as Christians. Real specific like, here are some, some things we might want to keep in mind. I, it came from some church work I've done where, where if you have real, real churches are fighting, and we learned that if you had congregational ground rules about how you engage, it tended to, to de-escalate. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of bring those in. I, I'm just going to print out the ones we did from the last church I worked with that they came up with. And I'm not saying we should do them here, but it's an interesting jumping-off point about what kind of ground rules should we have when we engage people. Because one of the weird things about church, it's a free-for-all. People do whatever they feel like because they think God wants them to. And, uh, and the, the, if we had some structural rules around how we talk to each other, it might be kind of interesting. Does that sound good? All right. See you later, guys. Thanks. Thank you.